Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. All right. Hey, so uh, really quick, during Kids Blast, my my family and I, uh, I think it was Wednesday, we went to... uh, the Exploration Place. Anyone ever go to Exploration Place? If you have young kids in your family, Exploration Place is your jam. When it's like 100 degrees out there and like your skin is getting stuck to the sidewalk, Exploration Place is the place to go. So I took my kids there last week because our skin was sticking to the sidewalks and uh, we decided to go to Exploration Place. They have a brand new exhibit, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and uh, it's, it's awesome. I was that kid growing up. Like, like whenever we'd have book challenges in school, uh, in elementary especially, uh, the, the teachers would say, all right, Everybody has to read a book over the summer, and most kids would, would read like Mark Twain and just like these really, like those aren't even kids' books, but they'd read them anyway, and I, mean, I, I would be the kid who's like, I'm going to go to whatever book has the most pictures in it, so I'd always pick up like the, the Guinness World Book of Records. Like that, that was me. I was that kid. I was like, I want, I want to look at all these human oddities. I want to see the person with the longest neck. Of course, that's going to pique my interest, so, so I, I, I grabbed these, and uh, as we were walking through th- this exhibit at Exploration Place, we saw uh, Ralph not Ralph Waldo Emerson. I did this last night. Robert Wadlow. Goodness. Robert Wadlow. He lived in Alton, Illinois. He was the tallest man to have ever lived in America, I believe. And uh, he was eight foot 11. I mean, just a, just a behemoth of a man. And they had an animatronic uh, of him at this Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I, maybe I'm a bad parent, but I, I kind of like scaring my kids a little. Um, I just think it's fun. I mean, not to the point where they don't trust me. I want them to trust me. I don't want to give them complexes, but I enjoy getting them a little scared. Uh, so judge me if you want, but you can't judge in church, so huh. Uh, but, but anyway, we, we went to this place, and, and there was this animatronic of, of Robert Wadlow, and he's sitting down, 8 foot 11. He still looks pretty big, but when he's sitting down, you don't quite see it. And then the animatronic stands up, and he's like, 8 foot 11. So I'm like super close. And August and Aubrey are like hiding behind me because they can't tell the difference. We go to Chuck E. Cheese and they're like, hey, hi, hi. Uh, so, so Desi is just waving and he loves this guy. And he's 8 foot 11. But I can tell that there's a, a, a tinge of terror in their eyes. And they're just like backing up slowly. And like, give him a hug, guys. <laughs> like it was. But we're walking through this exhibit. And uh, there was just uh, an aisle of human oddities. And there was one specifically that I, I just recalled. It was, it was the world's largest ears. And uh, I'm not even kidding. This, this man from India literally looked like Dumbo. I mean, it was just huge ears, and they just, like, flopped over. And there was a question underneath the, this image, and it said this. Does the human ear ever stop growing? And that's my question to you guys. Does the human ear ever stop growing? How many of you would say yes or, or no, the, the human ear never stops growing? How many would say no, the ear is, is, is always growing? Okay, that's about, show of hands, show of hands, that's about, that's about 70% of the room, 70% of us. I am a part of that 70%. I mark, uh, yes, the ear uh, never stops growing. It, it continues to grow. And then I continued to read, and I saw that science would, in fact, tell us that, that the ear does stop growing. The only reason why the ear uh, uh, or, uh, looks or the perception of growth is continuing to happen is because all of this is cartilage. And, and because we live on a planet that has gravity, when cartilage breaks down, the ears begin to droop, and your earlobes begin to sag. So it's not that the ears continue to grow, uh, the, the, everybody, it's just that Age takes its place. And those of you who are insecure, just hiding your ears right now. You're like, no one's looking at these ears, right? 
So yeah, so actually, it's, it's kind of a yes and no. Do the ears continue to grow? Yes and no. No, it's, it's really gravity and the collagen and, and, and the cartilage in there. It begins to break down and begins to stretch. But if I was to not give you the, spirit or the, the, the scientific answer and give you the spiritual answer like my Sunday school teacher did for us when we talked about, for some reason, we talked about ears in Sunday school, uh, the, the, the answer she gave me this is, is the reason why your ears never stop growing is because God wants you to always become a better listener. As you think, there it is, yeah. God wants us, as we continue to grow up in our faith, to become increasingly better listeners. Your moment of listening to the voice of God did not start and stop the moment you heard his voice for the first time to accept Jesus. Your voice or your ears must continue to be in tune and attuned to the Holy Spirit, that we would long to continue to hear his voice. How many of you would admit to me this morning and say, Pastor, I want to hear the voice louder today than I did yesterday? And my prayer is that tomorrow I'll hear him louder than I did the day before. We need to continue to hope and pray that we hear the voice of God. I had a teacher that told me one time, she said, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. It's so that you could hear more or listen more and, and talk less. And uh, the reason why my teacher brought that up is because she thought I talked a lot as a kid, so, uh, which was true. But I was so glad to be able to call her back and say, hey, guess what? I'm a preacher now, and I talk for a living. So joke's on you, lady. Smoke that. Just kidding. I didn't say smoke that. I just hung up the phone. In fact, I never even made that call. But I should. I should, and I'll record it. All right. But how do we grow? How do we grow? We grow by hearing the voice of God. How do we know this? In Romans chapter 7, or Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul tells us this. So faith, or I would submit to you if I were to add emphasis to the passage, so, so growing faith, because he's specifically talking about an unbelieving Israel that will one day be redeemed. He says, so, so growing faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The word of Christ. If you desire to be a Christian who grows and you are not saturating yourself with the words of Jesus, you will forever stunt your growth. In fact, I will say the ceiling of your growth will be limited to how much you spend time in the word and in the presence of God. Our growth ceiling as a Christian will always be limited to how much we saturate ourselves in the Word of God. There is no other way to grow or no primary way to grow than to be in the Word of the Lord. John 5, verse 24 and 25, Jesus specifically tells us this. I tell you the truth. Those who listen, everybody say listen. Those who listen to my message and believe in God, two part there, who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, Jesus was saying, and is saying of now, of today, when the dead, the spiritually dead, those who are not active spiritually, those who are dead in, in their sins and transgressions, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. Hearing's important. Hearing the voice of God is the first step to growing our faith. The primary way to grow spiritually is by hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, actively listening to the word of God, and believing in Jesus. Show of hands, who wants to grow closer to God? How many of us would say in this place, you know what? I am absolutely content with where I am in my relationship with Jesus. It probably doesn't get any better than this, right? None of us would say that, unless you were a weirdo, but there's no weirdos here this morning. All right, 
Um, so we're in this series, we're calling it Growth Track. Everybody say Growth Track. This is a word you're going to hear uh, for the next couple of weeks. Uh, It's going to be a four-part series, but it's going to turn into a class that we're going to offer at MWC for for everybody. Uh, We are so convinced that this will be the the, the first step or the second step. Once you come to our church, many people are like, what do I do now? Like, how how do I continue to grow? This is going to be the class that we want to offer, uh, the discipleship class that we want to offer to get you going on that journey of growth. And it's four parts. The first part is this, know God. The second part, not N-O, but K-N-O-W, okay? Know God. Some of you are like, what? There's no God? What kind of church is this? No. Know God. K-N-O-W. Know God. So, so know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. Everybody say that with me. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. Make a difference. I would submit to you, you don't have to repeat this, I would submit to you that these, when we study and, 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 and look and glean from the words of the gospel, this is the path, the track, the road that Christ has given us to grow. The first thing we need is to know God. And, and I know that on your, your, your relationship, on the road of your relationship with Jesus, there's a lot of things that are vying for your attention. Right? I mean, I mean, here we are, we're trying to, our destination is Jesus, and we're driving towards Jesus, and there's a lot of things that are pulling us. There's sports and weekend events and this and that, and there's, just, there's so many things that are possibly pulling us away from that ultimate destination of, of, of coming to Jesus. In fact, I, I know that because physically it's true as well. If you and I were, were to hop into a van and say, hey, we're, we're going to Lincoln, Nebraska, we would see numerous billboards of, of something that would be trying to distract us or, or to, to get us off track to that, and it would be the, the, the world's largest ball of twine. How many of you, how many, has anyone ever seen this in Cocker City, Kansas? Yes. Um, has anyone ever hugged it? Hey. I, I, I asked because I knew you would raise your hand. Um, in Cocker City, Kansas, yes, if we were driving to Lincoln, Nebraska, we'd say, all right, we're going to Lincoln, Nebraska. This is our ultimate destination. This is where we're trying to go. You would see for miles and miles and miles leading up to Cocker City, Kansas, come see the world's largest ball of twine. And anything with that deep bass baritone voice sounds appealing. It doesn't matter what they're selling. You're just like, maybe I'm interested. Like, I don't even know what twine does, but I think I'm super interested now. And... Uh, uh, You'd pull off the side of the road. I want to quickly show you the, the world's largest ball of twine. That's it. I saved you a trip. You're welcome. Um, but look at that in all of its glory. Um, I just, I wonder why they put benches around it. Like, like who, who, who actually stops and sits there and just looks back at the, at the scope of their life and says, man, I, I've made some wrong decisions. I need to do things right. Like, does anybody just sit there and just draw inspiration from this world's largest ball of twine? I don't know. The duck did. I, there's a duck in that picture, I think. He does. But we know that there's so many things on, on, on the road to, to growing with Jesus that are vying. You can take this off the screen. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just like, everyone's just so gripped by this. Uh, we, we know that there's so, many, there's so many things vying for our attention, right? Like, like, we're trying to follow after Jesus, and there's something, there's a billboard that we're driving past that is, is trying to, to get us off track or off, off centered, and, and I'm here to tell you guys that, that God's desire is that we would not get distracted on this track of growing closer to Jesus. And if we were to stay focused, the first, 
the first pit stop that we would arrive at is, is this. We would understand that our, our number one responsibility if we are to grow as Christians is to know God, to know him. Everybody say, know God. To know God. And today I want to submit to you, I want to give you three just truths about this, this, this one simple phrase, to know God. Uh, I asked earlier, how many of you want to grow? And by a show of hands, there was at least 99% of you uh, who at least heard the question. Uh, 99% of us, or I would say almost all of us, if we were asked this this question, how many of you want to grow with God? We would all raise our hands. But can I just submit to you guys that, 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 that more than your desire to know God, God has an even greater desire for you to know him? If we were to quantify our collective energies and, and wanting to know God and, and, and filled up a jar and we compared our, our combined efforts of wanting to know God to the efforts and energy that God has put in us knowing him, he would always overshadow us. You may think you want to know God, but more than you want to know God, God wants to be known by you. And that's absolutely humbling. That the God of the universe, the God who spoke all things into creation, the God, the God who exists outside of time, a God who stands outside of it but yet can still intervene, a God who knows the beginning from the end, the same God who spoke all things into creation, he is the exact same God who desires us to know him. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope that, that my desire to know and my desire to grow, he does all of the heavy lifting. Sometimes we have the roles reversed where we think we're the ones on the bench press doing all the heavy lifting and God's spotting us, but it's the other way around. When, when God's with us, he's the one who's, who's doing the heavy lifting. When it comes to, to growing with him, he's the one who's like, I want you to grow in me. I want you to know me. I, want, I, I will do everything in my power. In fact, he has done everything already for us to know him. And what has he done? He has already died for us so that we may approach him. It was our sin that functioned as a, as a chasm, as a divide between you and God, between us and God, and yet he, because of the cross of Jesus, built a bridge so that we would come to know him. That is our God. He has done everything that we may come to know him. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's one thing to say we know God, but, but what kind of God do you know? That's absolutely important. Maybe for you, the kind of God that you were grown to believe was, was a, a God who was maybe a, what we call a, a cosmic genie, a, a God that, it, that you would work so hard to do good, and every time he did a good deed, he'd give you a coin, and then if you, if you collected enough coins, one day you could cash in those coins for a prize, and, and, and then you'd be like, God, I've, I've done all these different things. I was nice to my siblings. I did this. I did this. I did that, I did this, and I went to church on Sunday, I, I, I tithed, I did all these different things, and, and now because I did that, I've, 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 I've collected all these coins, and now I'm going to cash them out and, and, and answer my prayer, Lord. Maybe that's the God that, that you were, maybe that's the God that you know as of right now. Or maybe you were kind of like me, where uh, you weren't raised in the church, and every understanding that you had of God was, was what you saw in church and what you saw in Christians, and you didn't really like what you saw. You saw a lot of hypocrisy, some abuse. So therefore, your view of God was that he was 
uh, homophobic or xenophobic or, or he was some sort of genocidal, angry God. And, and, and maybe that was the perception of God, that false perception of God that you were given. And he's neither that. Or maybe the, the God that you understood was, was the kind of God who knew your parents and grandparents, but to you he was just a distant friend, like someone who would come over and they, they knew your parents, they knew your grandparents, and you just see them and you're just like, hey, good to see you. Um, maybe, maybe that was your relationship of knowing God. Or maybe you were like the 17th and 18th century philosophers known as deists. Everybody say deists. Not theists with a T-H, but deists. And, and they believe that, that there is what, what we could consider or what they would use in the analogy, the illustration of a watchmaker. And they held the belief that, that just by looking around in creation, you can see the intricacies of every, everything in creation and that, that this was not by accident. There had to have been a, a divine designer of sorts, much like a watchmaker who comes and he puts all of the cogs and the, and the trinkets together and he, he develops this beautiful machine and, and, it, and it keeps so precise of a time and he closes the watch and he sets it aside and he no longer needs to tinker with it because what he did once was good to allow it to last forever. So they said that that was the kind of God that we have, that, that he came and he designed all of this, but then once he was done, he, he stands off at a distance and he, he doesn't intervene when there's sorrow or frustration or anger or, or, or sin. He, he doesn't really intervene. It doesn't matter. Uh, there are no miracles, uh, but, but there is a God who designed. He's powerful, but he's not all loving. And can I just say that is not the God that wants to be known. That is not the God that that has revealed ourselves, revealed himself to us in, in Scripture. The examples that we were seeing are, are not, God is not a watchmaker who built a planet and now stands far off, carelessly observing his creation, making sure not to interrupt. No way, God, God is near. He bitterly weeps at brokenness. He intervenes in ways we cannot comprehend. He silently shouts at acts of injustice. He is disgusted by the sin that pollutes his people. So he did something. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. You see, our God, the God who wants to be known, he is a loving and merciful father who is near to us. He's a father who binds our wounds, who holds us tightly and tells us when we're wrong only to point us gently in the right direction. Friends, God, the first step of our Christian growth is, is to know God. But let me submit to you, the God that we serve wants to be known. How do we know this? Because every story in Scripture confirms this. It's not that we mustered enough strength or passion or excitement to say, I want to know God. But in every story that we see in Scripture from, from Genesis through Revelation, we are seized and gripped with a God who passionately pursues his people. He doesn't wait for us to say, I guess it's about time for us to come to know you, God. No, no, he comes to us. In, in, in the garden, the first story in Adam and Eve, the moment they sinned, what happened? Did, did they say, oh, goodness, we, we messed everything up. We might as well go to God and see if he can fix this no what do they do they hid themselves in the garden and it was God by his mercy and grace who stepped into the garden and said man where are you Adam where are you the word Adam in the Hebrew trans translates to Adama which means man humanity he was specifically saying from the very beginning humanity where are you I'm, I'm looking for you 
I'm not waiting for you to look for me. I'm pursuing you. The next story in Noah, you remember what was happening in Noah? Sin filled the earth. I mean, if you think things have ever been bad, they were horrible in the time of Noah. And God didn't say, I'm going to wait for someone to come to me to find salvation or redemption. No, he went to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to give you the blueprints to build something, a vessel that is pointing to the Jesus that will come and redeem all of humanity. But I'm going to give you the blueprints of of this current dispensation time of, of redemption. And I'm going to give you the ark and you are going to help me, partner with me to redeem life as you know it. God went to Noah. Noah didn't go to God. We also see Abraham. Abraham was a guy who had nothing going for him. He was living, with his, he was living at home. He, he was married to his wife. He couldn't have kids. He didn't have a job. He was, he was just pretty much not, not enjoying life at this time. And he didn't wait for Abraham to say, God, can you make a nation out of me? No, God went to him and said, Abraham, I'm calling you from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and I'm going to take you to a land you don't know. And out of you, I will produce a nation. Out of you, I will bring you many children from the fruit of your womb or from the fruit of, of your loins and the fruit of, fruit of your, your, your wife Sarah's womb will be, be salvation and joy to all of the earth. God went to Abraham. God went to no- Moses. Do you remember what happened with Moses? Moses murdered a man. He ran to the desert out of fear of being judged. And it was in the midst of that fear, the midst of running away from God, that God appeared to him in the form of a burning bush and called out to him. I mean, all throughout Scripture, examples. Where was Gideon? Where was Gideon when, when there was armies seizing his country? He was hiding out in a wine press, and an angel of the Lord showed up. And Gideon's like, God, you don't know, I'm I'm just the smallest of of, of nations. I belong to the smallest nation, and my tribe's the smallest tribe in our nation, and I'm the smallest in my family. I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole. And God came to him and said, mighty warrior, God comes to us. Every single time the nation of Israel chose sin instead of God, what did God do? He would send prophet after prophet after prophet saying, return to me. So the first point of knowing God is this. We serve a God who wants to be known. He initiates every instance of interaction. Can you give God some praise for that? That it's not you. It's not us, it's him. And the Bible says this in Romans 5, 5, 6. I mean, it didn't just end in the Old Testament, it continued on. The Bible says this, Paul would say, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the passage doesn't say when there was a a tinge of goodness in us and we were somewhat interested in a relationship with God, when we we swiped right in the holy Tinder app to, to, to know God, he didn't come to us. We did not desire him. We had no desire for God while we were still sinners. When we wanted nothing to do with him, he came to us. Friends, God wants to be known by you. If you came to church this morning thinking, uh, I'm nowhere near as good as that person and I'm, not, I'm just here because I'm trying to make my spouse happy or because I'm, I'm just trying to help someone or because I 
wanted to see what would happen, but you feel that, that you are nowhere close to knowing God, can I just say to you, stand in line, none of us were. And even now that I'm a believer and I'm a pastor, I don't approach my relationship with God as something that I've earned or anything that I've accomplished, but I continue to humble myself and say, God, it's because you sought me out. I wanted nothing to do with you. You came to me. You initiated every point of contact, every, every point of contact. That should be humbling. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say this phrase where they're like, I found Jesus. How many of you heard that? Someone say, I, I found the Lord. And, 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 I, and I get what they're saying, and I, and, I, and I give them a high five. I'm like so excited. Like, yeah, you found Jesus. Yes, yeah. Like, yes, you're, you're a follower. That's great. That's awesome. But, but can I just like, I'm not trying to mince words here. And I'm not trying to be, you know, that, that Christian who like is a, is a curmudgeon about everything. But let me, just, let me just say something that bothers me. When Christians say, I found Jesus, I, I just want to like respond and say, listen, you can't even navigate to the other side of town without your GPS, like, why in all that is holy would you believe that you have the, the in your finite ability, have the, the ability to somehow navigate to, to the center of the universe, to, to the creator of all things, to all that is holy? How, you can't even, like, get to work on time. How, how do you think? How do you think you navigated to God? You didn't navigate to God. God navigated to you. He simply called your name, and all you did was turn your head and respond. That's our God. He doesn't wait for us to want to know him. He's like, listen, I want to be known, and I'm going to do everything. I will, I will turn the earth on, and spin it in the opposite direction to, to, to have you come to know me. That is the God. So if you're sitting here disappointed or frustrated or angry or, or depressed, I want you to know that there is a God who loves you and his, whose greatest wish is that you would come to know him. That is our God. My daughter, Aubrey, I love her. She's so cute. She's a princess, man. Um, she, like, I, I never, like, I never would have thought that I would have had a daughter. I, some of you have heard my story. That was, I knew that the Lord was going to make me a father of sons, and I, I, I prophetically said, we're having sons, Katie, like, boys, and, or, like, boys is just what's in my, it's all I can produce, and, um, and I was right about it. I wasn't a false prophet. I was right about it. Uh, the Lord produced. He, he allowed us to adopt a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful girl. She's our princess, Aubrey. Uh, and when I say princess, I mean literally she walks around in dresses and tiaras and heels all day. She only wants to have tea parties. Uh, she's, she's not, she doesn't like being thrown around and spun like a helicopter like my other boys. So sometimes I got to like get on her level and hug and, and try to be super gentle. And that's just, it's hard for me, but, but, but I do it and she's my princess. Um, Aubrey... Um, she, 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 she's a princess, and if I don't help, like, how can I say this? I will not produce a damsel in distress. Um, she's a princess, but I'm not going to allow her to become a damsel in distress. She will learn to put on her own seatbelt. <laughs> so, so I, I work with her. I'm like, Aubrey, like, like you can do this. Like, you, you can jump out of the car, and you'll land on your feet. You'll be all right. You, you can put on your seatbelt. So Aubrey will sit there, and she just, like, makes these faces, and she's, like, struggling to put on her seatbelt. And inside of me, I'm just like, oh, girl, you can do this. You can, you can put on your seatbelt, right? So, so she'll, she's putting on her seatbelt, and she's just frustrated. And I'm a, I'm a loving dad, and I don't, I don't want her to struggle too long. So I'll come in, and I'll, and I'll hold and support and prop up that seatbelt, and I'll kind of guide it in there so that she gets it in there. And, and, she, and, she, and, she, and all she'll do is push, and she'll look at me and say, I did it. And I'm like, girl, I did everything. Like, like I held this seatbelt and I guided it. All you had to do was push. And I think sometimes when we say, I found Jesus, we, we are giving ourselves too much credit. Like, listen, I'm not saying that, that God determines everything, that there, there is no decision on your part. I don't believe that. I don't believe that you were just predestined to know him. Uh, you did make a decision, but, but let's 
let's understand that in your decision, he did all the work. He came to us. He, he extended grace to us before we were deserving. God wants to be known by you. He's done everything in his power that you would choose him. So humble yourself. Second, knowing God means this. Ready? Knowing God means, so, so if the first point, let's get the first point just so everybody can get it for their notes. The first point was this, uh, know God. Actually, it, it should have been, it should have been, uh, my notes, my goodness. The God of the universe wants to be known by you. Hey, it's up there. The God of the universe wants to be known by you. The second one is this, knowing God means more than memorizing facts. Um, I believe in the church, we are oftentimes inclined to believe that the moment we become a Christian, our next responsibility is just to memorize a bunch of facts. If I want to know God, then I, I, I read the scriptures so that I can memorize things and just, and just know truth. Can, 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 I just, can I just say this? Like, there is significance and importance in memorizing scripture. Being able to rattle off scripture is absolutely integral. It's important. It's, our, it's, it's the way that we fight. Um, but, but can I just say... Um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were excellent at memorizing scriptures, and yet they did not know God. Knowing God means more than just memorizing facts. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, everybody say everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, everybody say that day. That day is the day when we meet him face to face, judgment day. If you know Jesus, it's not going to be judgment, but if you don't, it's going to be judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name did we not perform many miracles or trying to qualify the relationship with God by all the things that they did and look at his response the next verse 23 then I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evildoers The word know there in the Greek is genosko. It's not a no, like, like if, if I said, how many of you know who Michael Jackson is? They'd be like, yeah, Michael Jackson. Um, you know, or if, if I said, I don't know why I thought of Michael Jackson first. I'm just feeling it this morning. Um, we, we know him, but we don't know him, right? You've never, you've never been to his house. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. <laughs> Oof. We don't know him, Right? I got to use a better cell. That's the last time I'm preaching the sermon. So um, I guess I've, I lost it. Um, we, don't, we don't know him. The word genosko in, in, in the Greek means that intimate knowledge. It's the same exact word that would be utilized between a, a husband and a wife uh, when, when they knew each other intimately. Now, now, it's not getting weird and saying, Jesus is saying, I never knew you intimately. He's, he's specifically implying uh, the, the same way a husband and wife only know. Uh, there's nobody else on the planet who knows a husband like a, a wife. Jesus is saying, you didn't know me that way. You may have been able to perform and do things. You showed up to church. You, you memorized some scriptures. You knew some facts, but, but you didn't know me. which this passage tells us it's possible to do things in the name of Jesus without ever desiring to see his face. It's possible for us to do things in the name of Jesus without ever desiring to see his face. May it not be said of us, may it not be said of you, 
that we did a lot of things for him, but we didn't know him. Friends, sometimes in the church, I believe, we can desire to perform more than we desire his presence. Sometimes if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll turn this responsibility, this, this heavenly responsibility into a performance. And, and, I'll, and I'll base my great standing with God or my standing with God according to how I performed on a weekend. And, and, and you do the same thing. Oh, I, I didn't do so well and I messed up here. And, and, and you're so focused on the performance that you forget about his presence. I believe some of us have allowed our passion to perform grow bigger than our passion for his presence. And if we want to know God, we need to understand it's more than memorizing facts. Those have a place. Those are great. Grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord. But don't you ever lose sight of that passion for his presence. Yes, come to church, absolutely. It's, it's our responsibility, it's our obligation, it's what we've been called to. Yeah, take notes and show up to Sunday school and classes and do all those things, but if we ever allow that to determine our right standing with him, we've lost sight of it all. It's not about what we can do, it's, it's how much we spend time in his presence. It's, it's how well we know him. what's the result of reducing our knowledge of God to just performance I felt like when I was asking this question the Lord gave me this the result of of assuming that knowing God is about memorizing facts about performance more than it is about his presence the result of of that is this you will stunt your personal growth with God you will live off of nostalgia from events in the past You will never have a fresh encounter with God. You will allow cynicism and bitterness to lead you. And you will spend the rest of your life blindly waiting for hell. Now, I know these words are a little weightier than what we're accustomed to. But the reason why Jesus spoke them was not because he was angry, but because he loves us and was warning. May not be said of us. May not be said of you that you were more focused on performing for God than you were about focused on his presence. May not be said of us that we were more determined about doing things in the name of Jesus than we were focused on being before the face of God. What's our response? It's found in Hebrews 3, chapter 12 to 14, and this is, this is where it gets good. The writer of Hebrew warns the church, the brothers and sisters, and he says this, be careful then, brothers and sisters. And I believe this is what the Lord is trying to convey to us this morning. Make sure that your own hearts, and he's he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. He says, be careful that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. 
Now, I don't, I don't want you to think that the response now is, okay, we got to do things. No, 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 no. Let us be gripped by him. The salvation that has come to us was not afforded to us cheaply. It wasn't by something you've done. It's something that he did. So the same God who saved you is going to do everything to keep you. I don't want anybody in this place to be afraid of their, their, their stance in heaven. But there is a warning given to us by our Savior that sometimes we can be more focused with performance than we can his presence. And the response he wants from us this morning is a sign, a heart of repentance, a heart that says, God, I want to desire you more than I desire doing anything for you. God, forgive me for the times that I've allowed my relationship to be dictated by what I could accomplish and not by what you have done. God, forgive me for the times that I've allowed arrogance to come into my heart and presume that I found you. Now you found me. You came to me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, let's just take a moment to respond to what the Spirit of the Lord is doing in this place. Friend, he's not angry with you. If you're far from him this morning, he's not angry with you. He hates your sin. He hates sin. But he's not the kind of father that it gets angry with us and beats us and says, you should have done better. He's the kind of father who comes down to our level. He bends the knee, embraces us, and yes, he points out where we messed up. Where we fell short. But in doing so, he points out the one that did not fall short. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And my heart and my prayer this morning is that we would face the realization that some of us right now, if the Lord were to come and we would meet him face to face, we'd be able to say, Lord, we did all these things for you. And he may respond, I never knew you. This is our chance. This is our moment. Not to get beat up by God. He doesn't do that. But to be embraced by him. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, between you and the Lord, if you would say, Pastor, I don't care. I don't care who's looking. I don't care who sees me. I want this moment to be about me and Jesus. Would you, if you would say, I'm sick of turning my relationship with God into a performance, and I want to be once again, or for the first time, passionate about his presence. If that would be your heart in prayer, would you just lift up your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, you see these hands. And Lord, I would even say, I want to throw my hand in that. I don't want to be so focused. We don't want to be so focused on performance that we lose sight of your presence. Lord, we want to do good things. We want to do great things but may it not be about us, may it be about Jesus. Thank you, God, that you desire to be known, that the first level of our growth is, is to know God. That's our first function, our first responsibility, but in doing so, God, you 
want to be known. You're not a deist. You're not a God who created something and walked away and now doesn't care. No, God, you, you are actively and intimately involved. And Father, I pray over every soul under the sound of my voice that we would come to the realization that the same God who's created all things desires for us to know him. That we would know you. That we would be known by you and that we would desire to make you known. That's our prayer. Father, may we never be so fixated on performance. May we understand that it's more about, more than just memorizing facts. It's about knowing a person and that person is Jesus. That it's not about mysticism or some hidden knowledge, but it's about Jesus. It's about you, Lord. So Holy Spirit, friends, can you pray this with me? Holy Spirit, rid me of every lie I have stored in my heart. More than I want to know you, you want to be known. Not by fact memorization, but a face-to-face meeting. It's not through mysticism, but through Jesus. And if you're thankful for Jesus, if you're thankful for Jesus, will you give him a hand this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, can we stand together and worship the Lord as we end our time? Thank you, Lord. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.